Good morning. We want to honor our teacher today and give her all the time that she needs for all the questions that we have all stored up from all of our week of reading. Um, lots going on in the, the life of the church. And so um, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we lift up to you our class. We lift up to you our teacher and the message for today. But Father, we also lift up those who are ill, those who are fighting for breath and fighting for life. Father, we, li we lift up our our friend Linda Stevens to you, that you may put your hand on her and give her your peace and your healing. We ask you, Father, also that you be with the leadership of our church as we seek your will and your way and workers for the field for our future harvest. We thank you, Father, for every gift. And we ask, Father, for your continued blessing and grace. May your son's saving name be praised. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Well, for someone who did teaching as a living, I cannot confess to you how nervous I feel this morning <laughs> um, because I have thoroughly enjoyed reading and digging into resources and going down interesting rep. You cannot hear me? Uh, I think I'll be wearing it. All right, is that even better? How much higher can it go? I could clip it on an earring. Now, is is that better? I'll try. I'll try to speak up. I I do have a loud voice when I don't have butterflies competing. All right. <laughs> All right. I will. I will try to speak up. The focus of our our study today is going to be a reading through chapter five, and I hope that many of you have recently read through that chapter and perhaps have responded to some of the nice emails and, and things that uh, have been sent to us concerning uh, the book of Daniel and this chapter. But the more you read about it, the more I became aware of the history that I didn't know of what was going on, things that we know from archeology span and research about what the non-Jewish world recorded as history. We're still working on sound. Well, I wanted to have us think back about what we have read and learned from Daniel in the past few weeks. Starting out with Daniel as a teenager being caught up in his country being overpowered and taken by a foreign adversary. Because we judge that he and his friends, he and his three compadres were about 16 or 17, 18 years old when this happened. They had the fortune to grow up in uh, well-to-do, influential families, might have had connections with the, the leading house of, of the nation. So when this part of Judea was captured, the capturing king did what his ancestors had always done with captured people. They said, go in among the youth, among the royal household, those who'd had some training, and pick out the perfect, most handsome, most intelligent, most moldable people, those teenagers, and we'll bring them into our court. We'll train them in our language, 
We'll train them in our history. They'll do the rest of their growing up into adulthood in our culture, and they'll be useful to us. So you remember at the very, at very beginning of the book of Daniel, we have Daniel as a youth being taken to Babylon. And he and his friends, his, his, his three friends that are mentioned in the book, are given three years of training. And they start out by, what do the conquering people first do to a conquered people? They change their names. So instead of being addressed by their Jewish names, they're given Babylonian names. Their Jewish names referred to their God and the power of their God. Their Babylonian names referred to the power of Marduk, the Babylonian main God. So here's teenagers. They're being addressed in a different way, and they're being trained in a culture that was centuries old. Most of you have heard of Hammurabi's Code. That was about the 18th century BCE. That was created. Could someone just briefly tell us what was Hammurabi's code? Lawyers among you, history people, do you remember? Lex Talomus. What? Lex Talomus. Lex Talomus, what was that? Eye for an eye. Eye for an eye. But it was an inscribed code. It had been developed, and it was a code of laws that was actually chiseled into stone and in several places in the empire was placed so that those who could read could read it to the people and those who couldn't could see the inscription and know that was important information there. Now that in that culture happened a thousand years before our book of Daniel and these young men were brought into this well-developed culture I mean, we pride ourselves here in a country that's 250, pushing 300 almost years old. The culture in this area with the Babylonians was ancient. A thousand years of inscribed law and uh, the way things should be and the punishments, a codified system. So Daniel had a lot to learn about the Babylonian culture. But apparently he did quite well. The first thing that was mentioned to us here is his determination and his friends not to take in one of the other things that's done in a culture. You're given the best of that culture. So they were given new names, and of course they had to respond to those new names, but they were also going to be given the food that the royal family prescribed for them. So they weren't going to be eating the everyday stuff. And the first thing we have in this book is that Daniel and his friends say, we would like to continue eating the diet that we are accustomed to. And they were so diplomatic. Daniel was so diplomatic about that whole thing. He said, give us a chance to prove to you that what we want to eat is good for us. And what was the results of that? They were allowed to do it. They were allowed to continue with the, the, what they considered the proper things to eat, which was out of their background, out of their Jewish training. What was the first test that we had mentioned in Daniel, where Daniel had to show a special gift that he had been given? Can you recall? The dreams. All right. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he is so upset by that dream that he calls all the people that he has gathered around that are supposed to be able to give him answers. His soothsayers, his readers of bones, his astrologers, all these people who are supposed to have that kind of wisdom. And he calls them around. He says, tell me my dream and tell me what it means. Well, they can do neither. He doesn't even hint at what his dream was, but he is furious and he's upset. Well, Daniel and his three friends, having their training, they, have, they are a part of this group of people that are supposed to show special knowledge. And since 
he has this gift from God, and he and his friends believe that God will always provide for them, they hear the edict that the king puts out. If you can't tell me my dream and you can't answer my dream, you're going to all die. And Daniel goes to his friends and said, let's pray. God will give us the answer to this dream. He will. He will give us the answer to this dream. And he does that. His friends pray. And he sends a message. He says, please, let me go to King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me tell him. I can, I can tell him. God will tell us what his dream means. And that happens. So without going through the whole story again, he does not take the credit himself. Young man, intelligent man, learning about the culture that he's living in. But he goes to the king. He tells what the dream is. He gives the interpretation of the dream. And he's rewarded. You remember how he's rewarded? What does Nebuchadnezzar do? He makes him head of the province of, of Babylonia. Babylon. Of Babylon. And Daniel says, and if I may, I'd like my three sidekicks, these three young intelligent men who have been trained and growing up in your culture, I'd like them to be the heads of these three provinces. And, he, and Daniel himself stays in the Babylonian, in, in the capital area. So we have these sequences of things. Each time, Daniel does not give credit to himself. He says, God has revealed this to me, and I am telling you so that you... King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the head of this entire empire, so that you will know what God is saying to you in your dreams. I'm just a vehicle to help interpret. It was given to you. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is not a Jewish king. But Nebuchadnezzar respected the information coming from the God of this young Jewish boy, who has been trained to be a chief administrator in his empire. So there's a trust factor there among him, uh, uh, there's a trust factor between King Nebuchadnezzar and this young Jewish man who has been trained to now function in the Babylonian empire, in his empire. And so he praises the God <laughs> of Daniel and he's grateful and life moves on. Then what's the other dream? What's the next thing that happens? Well, what's the next thing that happens? Proud Nebuchadnezzar, he has a statue built. And his wonderful advisors, you know, help him along with the idea. He has a statue built. There is another confrontation. God tells Daniel how to interpret. And what is his reward that time? What's Daniel's reward after interpreting the statue and telling Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold? Certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. These men pay no attention to you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, will not bow down. Will not, when they hear all the music going on, bow down. So what happens to the three young men? They're throwing the fiery furnace. Daniel apparently was not there at that moment. But the three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace. Now the king had it made super hot. His men are destroyed. But the young men they throw in there are up walking around. Matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar himself sees a fourth walking in there. He says, looks like a son of a god. So here again. God has made apparent to this pagan king who controlled most of the known Eastern world at that time that this particular God, and it's still with a little d and lots of s's, there are lots of gods, but this God is extremely powerful. Okay. And those come out unscathed. Okay. Then we have a dream come about a tree. And who is the tree? Daniel reveals 
He doesn't want to. He says, I wish this could be something about your enemies. But Nebuchadnezzar, this is about you. You are the tree. It's going to be cut down to a stump and some roots. And it's going to be bound in iron and bronze. It's going to be there. But your dynasty will come back. So from Daniel's God, through Daniel, this interpretation comes. Okay. I'm skipping ahead to today. Now, I want us to read this chapter together, and I will try to make some sense out of all the things that I have been reading this past few weeks about Daniel to put any kind of insight that I might be able to bring to this. But when we end chapter 4, we have had Nebuchadnezzar praising Daniel's God. And then it says in verse 36, and this is, oh, I skipped too much. You remember Nebuchadnezzar going through his crazy period or whatever that was, okay? Where he had been humbled by God and then less than a year later, he's out walking around looking out off his balconies and he says, look at all that I've done. And it says before the words are out of his mouth, he, he lost it, whatever it was. He became like an animal in the field, a grass, until he got to the point where he recognized that God, this God, this Holy One, could raise great men and he could humble them at his will. So at verse 36 it says, at the same time, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counsels and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble." So this is Nebuchadnezzar's experience with this Jewish boy, this Jewish man, this Jewish faith, and the God to whom they pray and on whom they relied. Then chapter 5 starts out, King Belshazzar made a great feast. Now, we go from da Daniel being a teenager, captured with the other youth, look, seen as, as the brightest, most possible, captured, taken to Babylon, trained to be functionaries in the Babylonian Empire. This is almost 50 years later. So when King Belshazzar makes this feast, Daniel is more our age. He's been through life in the Babylonian Empire. He has seen and understands the war, the trade. He may be a part of that group that's called upon who seem to have extra vision and the ability to interpret dreams which they, they put a lot of credence in in the ancient world. He has seen this, and he has seen the empire change. So now we have King Belshazzar. He refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his father, but the commentators say it really means that he is kind of a descendant from. Okay, not necessarily uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son. But Belshazzar is king. And my research said that he is co-regent with his father. And my research said at the time of this feast, his father was over in what we call Syria now. Because Babylon was having serious problems with its neighbors. There had been battles going on uh, over the centuries between the empires in those areas. But at this particular time, 
Syria has just had a major victory over Babylon. The same year of this feast, just a few months before. So my first question is, why in a time of war, when you just had a major defeat, are you throwing a festival or a feast for a thousand of your lords? Doesn't quite seem biblical, you know, a good military strategy, but on this evening, he has made a feast for a thousand of his lords and drank, wa drank wine in front of the thousand. So he's there to party with them. Whatever the occasion, a thousand of them partying. Then in verse 2 it says, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, their wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of the God of his, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So Nebuchadnezzar had taken part of this bounty. This, these precious metals and the, and the vessels that, were made, that, that they were made into, taking them from the actual temple in Jerusalem and had them in his treasury. But this king, it's party time. And how is he going to impress his 1,000 lords? And they have wine, they're sitting there partying. Well, I'll just pull out some of the real shiny stuff. <laughs> so he has them go and bring from the treasury all these gold and silver instruments that had been created for use in the house of God. And they're drinking out of them. And they're laughing, they're passing them around, you know, enjoying the good life. How more could an individual in power snub their nose at someone else's God? So Belshazzar has no regard for what those were created for. And it appears he has no memory of the power of this particular God. He's just having a good time. He's having a good time of feast when just a few weeks or months prior, his country has, has uh, sustained a major defeat in battle against the enemy on their border. All right, here's the part that everyone remembers. I was quoted coming in here today. In verse five it says, Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, meaning there's lots of plenty of good light on it, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. All right. So, large party going on, everyone's into their wine, passing around these beautiful gold and silver, you know, vessels, partying it up. And over by the lampstand, a bright part of the wall, a hand appears. And the king watches it as it writes in the plaster on the wall. Now, you know, like Hammurabi's code, and lots of other things. When the king said it, it was law. And when the king wanted everyone to remember it, he had it inscribed in stone and placed so that the people in the various provinces could have it read to them, or at least reminded that these are the rules we live by. So it's almost as if whomever that hand might be, and I don't think we should presume it's the hand of God, because you know kings didn't send I didn't make those inscriptions themselves. They sent someone. But whatever, he sees this hand writing on the wall, inscribing, kind of like we would do on stone, like Hammurabi's code, something the king would understand. Belzar, he sees it, and he's petrified. Now, not the reaction, I would say, of a military leader, not the courage of facing the unknown, he was mortified by what he saw. 
but he couldn't understand it. But he understood the importance of it. Just as one of the lowest persons in any of his kingdom would have understood. There it is. It's written. It's law. But he saw it in motion. So it was in the present for him, riding on the wall. The king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Well, the translation says more like he shouted. He shouted and he yelled. He wanted them there. He wanted them there now. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation, shall, of course, well, he's a king, be clothed in purple and have a, a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Now, here we have a king. His empire is being attacked, being bombarded. He's partying with his lords. All of a sudden, on the wall, he sees, maybe everybody in the room sees, but he sees, and he yells to have all these other people come tell him what this means. They come and they look at it, or they look at him. No one can interpret it. Now, when it says here, and I believe it says it in here, and I didn't read it in a commentary. Okay. The king, king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So whether everyone in the room could see it, or whether this is a personal message for the king, they could see his reaction. He's now acting wildly, not like he's drunk, but like he's scared to death. He's called for all these special people to come who are supposed to be able to interpret and, and advise him. And his, it says, he grew greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, and the commentaries say this is probably his mother, it's probably the queen mother, okay? Because I told you, I think at the beginning, that he and his father were kind of ruling at this time as co-regents. Co and so, King one and two, together co-regents. His father was not there at this particular time. He was throwing this party. His mother, however, hears the commotion going on. So close enough, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared. Now here is mother advising her king son. O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. What an unkingly uh, way to behave in front of a thousand of your lords. Okay. There's a man in the kingdom. Now, she remembers. He apparently didn't remember. And for whatever reason, he didn't show up with those first ones that were called either. Daniel did not. But she says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods, small d, still is, in the days of your father, Light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems was found in this, da in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So here the queen mother, to me it, it reads so much like she's standing in trying to return him to a kingly state and advising him, someone he could send for, someone who would be able to help. All right, in verse 13. Now is there any, any other observation that you have made in this, in this early reading about Daniel and his relationship with this present king? We don't know. We know about Nebuchadnezzar, but as I said, this is almost 50 years later. We have Dan They're not close. It doesn't, it doesn't occur to the king, oh, this guy helped dad, or grandfather, as, as that would be. They were, they, uh, Daniel was not in his inner circle. All right. I 
I think that's probably pretty obvious. And he, and he didn't show up when the others were called for whatever reason. He didn't come in that first calling. Nebuchadnezzar recognized the power of Daniel's God and was grateful. But in the interim, one time it just took 12 months. And he's off bragging about how proud he is of all the stuff that he has done. And God humbles him again but restores him again. And the last confession we have here of Nebuchadnezzar about this God is the fact that this is the Holy of Holies. This God is above all. And he praises him. This does not seem to have filtered down to his grandson. This great empire had become strong in a very pagan way. Slaughtering your enemies, capturing what's of value, and moving on. So, for this particular king, this is just another god. And he didn't, he didn't know of Daniel. He didn't even think about Daniel. This was an um, employee from a different religious background. As long as he did his job, it made no difference to the king. Then Daniel, let's see, let's skip ahead. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. This is at verse 13. The king, ans the king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Well, he's promising things that he's not going to be able to come through with. I mean, he is a king under siege right now. But out of his magnanimity, this is what he's going to do. He doesn't acknowledge Daniel in any way other than, I've heard that you can do these things. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Not quite the way he responded to Nebuchadnezzar 50 years earlier, right? He was humble. He gave his interpretations to Nebuchadnezzar. He never took credit himself. He said, it's not through anything I can do or through my knowledge. God has given this to me so that I can make clear to you what you've been dreaming about. God is sending this message to you, and I'm just explaining what it is. When he approaches this king, he said, you just give all those good things to whomever you want to. But I'll give you the answer anyway to the writing on the wall. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirits were hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Now you've got to, I have to believe, that the grandson at least had heard those stories. That there'd been an up and down in grandfather Nebuchadnezzar's life. That he had been high and mighty and then for some reason he was, he was out eating grass like an ox. And then he was restored. And his counselors came back to him, and all the people who supported him came back to him. So Nebuchadnezzar was a fantastic leader, but he was proud. And God used him, but God brought him down. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. So Daniel is sort of reminding this grandchild about his grandfather. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and he was fed grass like an ox, 
and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sits over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, your concubines, have drunk wine from them, and you have praised gods, little g, lots of S's, of silver and gold and bronze, have drunken wine from them. Uh, excuse me, skip the line. The vessels of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see and hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all and and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So the accusation is made. Then in his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is written that was inscribed. Mine, mine, telka, pasa. Now that we read that. But there, it wasn't spoken. It was written in the plaster on the wall. It's sort of a parody of the way the Babylonians did things. They set up stele. They inscribed on there. A king understood that. So God is giving a message as a king would understand. Inscribed on the wall, in the plaster, this hand writes these three things. Now, we all have kind of heard that expression and probably the interpretation of it as well. But one of the things I enjoyed about this research and one of the, the rabbit holes that I went down in doing that is the fact that all of these terms are kind of monetarily related. Terms of, of money, exchange. Meaning, it's like counting out, like one, two, three, four. God had the days numbered, was the interpretation. Tickle, it's a word for shekel. Shekel is a, is a weight, like you have uh, Mexican pesos, Peso is weight, and you have the English pound, it's weight. So it's a, a, a unit of trade. So you have been counted out. You have been weighed. And parse means actually to divide. It's going to be made even less. So these are terms that the king would recognize if he thought about his empire. And they're being used to interpret the value of this king. Belshazzar, you have been counted out. Your days are numbered. You have been weighed. And you, you are lacking. You've been cut in half. Going to be divided up. And this chapter ends with the, the statement that that very night, this king dies. And I mentioned they just suffered a major battle, defeat. Okay. And in come the, the uh, conquering Hebrews and the conquering uh, tribes. And this Babylonian empire is captured. So God was patient with, the, with these pagan rulers. He had such patience with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and his friends were there and were given a special gift knowing that God would, through them, would be able to minister to this person. And I think, well, what's the application for us today? You know, How can we take a story like this and apply it to our situation? And I think about uh, our leadership and how it changes and, and, and evolves and how we can follow on and take it, have it take us down wrong paths or bring us into correction under right paths. Um, and then I think about Daniel, a young man, Jewish young man, who kept his Jewish traditions, praying to his, his God as he understood God three times a day throughout his life, and how he was able to maintain that in a very pagan culture. And I think we find ourselves in surroundings uh, today that don't seem all that Christian as we'd like them to be. 
don't seem all those as God-focused as we would like it to be? And how do we maintain our own strength and integrity and our belief? And because he was able to do that, God, through him, was able to help a very powerful, influential pagan emperor. Nebuchadnezzar was undoubtedly a fantastic leader. His counselors and the people below him trusted him. Even out after his period of madness, or whatever that was, when he acknowledged that God was the person who could bring a person up and humble him at will, that God was in control, that insight was brought to him through the service of this foreign, foreign child who was an effective administrator in his empire but never lost his own faith, his own grounding. So how can we do that? And how should we do that? Well, I've stumbled and babbled our way through all of that. But uh, do you have any insight or question about this particular one? It's such a dramatic story in the Bible, you know. And I think if we kind of thought, if I looked back and all of a sudden on that wall, without any projection in the room, something writing a message, if I could not instantly understand it or where it came from, it would be terrifying. But it was too late for this king. Daniel does not offer him any warning. He just reminds him of the backstory of what God did for Nebuchadnezzar in lifting him back up to power. And when someone was so proud that they snubbed their nose at the God of Israelites, that there was a price to pay, and he paid it. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it doesn't say, it says a, a hand was sent out to ride upon the wall. And when a king speaks, whether it was an earthly king, or in our case, I think we think, think of God as king, a hand was sent out, like Nebuchadnezzar, getting ready to make a proclamation. All the tools came up, and what he said went down. Belshazzar could see that, that it wasn't static. It wasn't like, you know, walking into town past this column that had the code of laws on. You do this, you die, you do this, you die, you do this, whatever the law was. This was written at the moment. This was a present command. And that very night, we're told, that king died. And just a few weeks before, they'd had a major setback. So the Babylonian Empire fell. Daniel, however, being the intelligent, God-connected man that he was in his late 70s, was still so useful that he continued in the conquering country's administration for a few years in the transition of power. He was recognized for his skill, but he had maintained his faith. Yeah. On the wall. Well, not as many as there used to be, undoubtedly. I use, some, some, I use another experience, uh, uh, an expression of, oh, well, almost everybody has feats of clay at one time in their life, and the person looked at me like, what are you talking about? So uh, you do need to be biblically literate to understand most of uh, literature. And, uh, but anyway, yes, that, that kind of an expression. Reading this story of, of the origin, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, as I say, I was fascinated to see that you know, on, with empires, there was a need to create a writing form to keep record. Record of law, record of commerce. So uh, Hammurabi's code is done in cuneiform. It's kind of a triangular-shaped little system. I cannot read it, but it could be read and interpreted, so it could be used to record. And, of course, one of the basic things that needs to be recorded in any growing economy is the business, the transactions. 
So it's common knowledge. The talk would be of being measured, weighed, part of everyday life. You go to buy something, measured, weight, what's it equal to, the value of? Do I pay, you know, this much salt for two fish? What is it? So for the writing on the wall to be used in terms that are related to accountability, you know, you have been paid out, meaning you have been counted out. Check on, you have been weighed. And in half, person, you're going to be divided. Less, less than before, yes. Uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I don't think it's germane to the story, but a very good reason for having this kind of a party would be to build up the home front and the courage and excitement of the home front after a major catastrophe. Yes. It be very politically done. Or the, the modern term is kind of like it's a smoke screen. Let's have a party. Everything is just fine. Of course, it doesn't say that he had a thousand of his generals and leaders of his military there. I don't think so. He had a thousand of his lords that could afford to be at a place like this, had the time just to come party. Uh, yes, there was a, I, I'm sure that there was a real uh, split between his military leaders and the lords that were sitting around that table that night. Any other comment on this particular chapter? I think it's interesting as we move into chapter 6 next week that we begin to look at some of the other things that happened, and I would presume within that 50 years. From the early things we know about Daniel up until this demise of this king that Belzar, okay, because he had other visions that we, uh, a lot of historians spend a lot of time drawing parallels between things that actually happened later and what Daniel said were going to happen. Yes, ma'am. The reason that Daniel and his friends were able to stand, you know, and not bow their knees to the idol, is because they were in prayer, you know, they were in, in communion with the, with the Holy God, and probably reading scriptures well. And I think that applies to us today. If we are not in um, prayer you know, and not knowing the truth of the word, um, what's to keep us from doing that? Absolutely, I agree. Talk about the, the constant reading and being aware of. Because as young men, I mean, I look at our 17 and 18, 19 year olds, particularly when my husband and I drop by like Fort Sam and we go in for something and you see all of these young people, 18, 19, you know, they're, they're starting a military career, at least a short, short, a training phase. And you think, all the responsibility. How much confidence do they have in who they are? We use the expression often, well, the military is good for lots of people because it gives them a chance to grow up. Well, it, it, it's apparent that God had laid on the hearts of those four young men his power and his trustworthiness early in their life, before then, which makes those earlier years those 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 year periods of time, such a ripe place for teaching because they were already confident in their God. They already trusted in their God. They were excited and, and burning with the power that their God had. That was their trust. So in that first situation, you see Daniel was very diplomatic when he approached that supervisor and said, well, we want to continue eating the food that we're eating because it was clean, kosher food. We want to continue to eat this way. And he said, but let us prove to you that after, what was it, 10 days, you look at us and judge if we aren't as healthy as the others that are eating the king's food. And that was a small prize for that supervisor. Just a short period of time. We'll see. He showed it it was. They were allowed to continue then with the diet that they were told was appropriate. So they were smart. Daniel was already very diplomatic, but they had that conviction already, and they stayed with it. They stayed with that conviction. And the fact that Daniel never took credit himself. When he was brought to the king and asked to interpret something, he said, not through anything that I can do or that I have learned, but that I know, but God has revealed to me this. And he tells it. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar, you knew this. You just couldn't understand what it was. You, you're the one that God delivered the message to. I'm just here to help 
clarify, to help the interpretation of it. And then later, because Nebuchadnezzar already had some confidence in this young man, when he's brought in again, and, and Daniel says, I wish that this dream that you've had, I wish that this was about one of your enemies. And Nebuchadnezzar says, don't worry about the interpretation of the dream, I mean, of the dream itself or the interpretation of it. Just tell me. So he told the king about what was going to happen to the tree. So he knew. Twelve months later, pride's back there on what he had done. And God said, no more warning. And he had his period of time where he was brought low. Low as the animals in the field. But as God had promised, when he confessed that God was the God that could bring anyone high and anyone low, it was God in control, then he was restored. But I think it's a salient point that he had the capacity that when he was restored by God, he had counselors and people around him who were glad to welcome him back as the leader of this empire. That had not passed down to this particular grandson. Nor to his father, apparently, because the empire was going downhill fast. Any other observation or comment on this particular chapter? Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your patience, and I encourage you to read through this yourself again. It doesn't take a lot, but when I was required in my mind to read it, read commentary, read some more, read it again, I realized all those kids that I used to teach, there were some that already, you could tell, had a firm confidence in what they believed was right. They had been taught that. They could fall back on it. And then you had those that were still running wild who had not been taught anything they could fall back on, and hopefully hard knocks and a few good teachers would help them gain some of that understanding. But I think all of us know a firm faith in God is the rooting that we all wish for ourselves and for our children and for everyone else, and the confidence to know that no one is ever in charge of everything. It is always someone else. And God is the ultimate one in charge. So being open to uh, what God says is important. And to read his word is, gives us insight. All right. Well, let's close in prayer then. God, we thank you for this moment together. I, I hope that something that was said within this classroom or felt within this classroom will be guidance. Help us understand how to live in a foreign country where the government is different, the expectations are different, of which though we can still be of service, and in our service bring light to you, that we know we do not do it on our own, we do it through the gifts given to us by thee and the leading of thy spirit. We thank you now for your son, and we ask your blessing for the coming days. Amen.